B'Shem Hashem Na'asev and Atzliach, Shir Torah, great to be here, Baruch Hashem in Miami. We have a, uh, are up to uh, Musar Pirkei Avot number 117. Uh, today, Be'ezad Hashem, is going to be a continuation of the Mishnah that uh, we started last night about the uh, four different types of students, uh, referring to another aspect of four types of people in regards to their use of logic. Uh, you know, it's a when it comes to when it comes to wisdom in the world. The more you learn Torah, the more the closer you get to Hashem. And by getting close to Hashem, I mean you not only get close to Hashem in regards to Yirat Shemaim, fearing Him. You don't only get uh, close to Hashem in regards to loving Him, falling in love with Him, and realizing how much kindness He gives you. It's never ending. Even eventually getting to the point, Be'ezad Hashem, that you see His kindness through your pain. The pain and anguish that each and every single one of us go through, each in their own way. Some people financial pain, some people marriage pain, some people children pain, some people uh, physical pain, and so on. The Gemara in uh, Masechet Brachot says something that uh, will give you an understanding of what it means to have pain from children. Pain from children. The Gemara in Masechet Brachot says, Amar Rabbi Yochanan, B'Shem Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Rabbi Yochanan, one of the students of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, Tana Kadosh, one of the six students that Rabbi Akiva restarted the world of Torah with, the one that was in a cave with his son for 13 years, learning the secrets beyond our comprehension. He said something. When he says something, we should pay attention. Now sometimes Rabbi Shimon says things that are very easy to understand. He tells you, do this, Shem's going to kill you. Chal Shabbat, Shem's going to kill you. You steal, you're a thief. You are gonna, can't go into Gan Eden. Easy. There's a law. Don't break it. Why? If you break it, you have problems. But sometimes Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai says things that are hard to understand. Unless you're in it yourself. If you're in it yourself, you don't only understand what he says, you feel it. You feel it. When people tell me, oh, I had tough times in my life. You know, I grew up broken home. I grew up, I uh, got kicked out of school. I grew up to do all these different things people say, I said. But they have a hard time expressing themselves because they assume you're like most people. They didn't go through the same problems. Oh, Hashem, my parents are married. Stayed married, will be married with Hashem, but other things. But one of the good things about pain and suffering is that it gives you a different level of experience you can't learn from a book. So I always tell people, and I've said it in several lectures, especially in Tisha B'Av, 
The way the prophet Jeremiah opens up in the third chapter, in the book of Echa, the, um, the, which is uh, Lamentations in uh, English, he says, I know suffering. I know suffering. How does he know suffering, Jeremiah? Saw the Bet HaMikdash get destroyed. Millions and millions and tens of millions of Jews getting murdered in cold blood. Family members, friends, and so on. Horrible. He says, I know suffering. I've seen it. Experienced it. I tell people, I'm not Jeremiah. Baruch Hashem. I know suffering. I know a little bit about suffering. But sometimes people give me stories and say, oh, this one I don't know. It's a different type of suffering. Oh, Hashem, I don't know the suffering. Other suffering I know. But the good thing about suffering is that you can always connect. Why? Because pain, pain is something you can understand. That's why the Torah gives us a lot of details about punishment, but very few about reward. Because we don't really understand reward, because we don't really know the true definition of good until we learn Torah, until we have wisdom. But pain, you don't need to learn Torah. Pain, you know. Why? Close the door on your finger for a second. Just you know, see, how, see how pain. You can see it, two seconds, free. Maybe a dollar will charge you for the idea. Go, close the door on your finger, just you, just for a second. Only one second, not two seconds. Two seconds, two dollars. So everybody understands pain. Everybody understands pain. Physical pain, emotional pain, this pain, that pain. But the pain that parents feel raising their kids, you could only understand if you are a parent. You cannot tell your parents' stories to your single friends. Quite frankly... You're almost wasting your time telling your parent stories to parents that already, all their kids are already married and off on their way. If your kids are 3, 4, and 5, and their kids are 30, 40, and 50, it's hard for them to relate to what happened 40 years ago. But everyone understands this type of pain. The pain of seeing Hashem Yerachem, your son going off the derech. Your daughter going off to death. Even if you're not religious. Every parent has a fear of death. Of seeing their child going off to a place of never-never land. It's very scary. And the Gemara says how scary it is. How scary is it? Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, Kodesh Kodeshim, 13 years in a cave, a life full of Torah, is here to tell us how scary it is to have a child go off the derech. Kashe, tarbut ra'a betoch beto shel adam, yoter mimilchemet gog umagog. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai says to Rabban Yochanan, teaches him, Rabban Yochanan says to us, a degenerate child, meaning a child that goes off the derech, in a person's home is an affliction, meaning it's more painful and more severe than the war of Gog Umagog. 
Gogu Magog, anyone that wants to know the details of it, you look at Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39, of the description of this war and how Ezekiel describes how this war will destroy the world in a matter of nine minutes, where two-thirds of the world will die. Anyone that has a heart still in this world, hears somebody got killed in a car accident or some other crazy thing that happens in the world, their heart hurts, it flinches a little bit. If it's someone close to them, the heart breaks. The closer, the more the severe the break is, the longer lasting the pain. Imagine reading and believing and understanding and feeling the pain of something that's not far away from where we are today, the world of Gogu Magog. Everyone's scared of the world of Gogu Magog. Some people are so scared they deny it's going to happen. No, no, Hashem can change it. Hashem can change it. They, they lead themselves to a false belief that this is something that's not happening as we speak. No, no, but Hashem can do anything. No one said He can't. No one said that He can't do anything. No one said that He can't change anything. But why? Why would He change it? The only reason He's going to change such a thing is if He has a reason. What reason does He have to change an inevitable disaster to just, let's say, everyone's going to go to Gan Eden. Why? Did everybody do tshuva? Did everybody all of a sudden fill up uh, the, the room here, one on top of the other? We have 5,000 people here, just in Olga's house, uh, just to listen to some musar, so we could do tshuva tomorrow morning? Did, will we pack to the max in the Madison Square Garden full of people yearning for a mate? Oh, I want to do tshuva, I want to do tshuva, I want to do tshuva. Do we see it? Why is he going to change it? Oh, he's not. There's nothing changed. Oh, so that means you're in a Gan Eden Shishotim. Rabbi Shemuel Bar Yochai says, Oh, those people that think that things are going to change just because, oh yeah, they're in the Gan Eden of the drunk people. Meaning they're drunk. I don't know what they're talking about. But, Wolf Gogu Magog, you don't need to have too much of an imagination to know how scary it is. But Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is telling you, more scary than Gogu Magog, is if you have a child go off the derech. The tears I see and hear about and talk to people that have their children go off the derech. Last night I talked to a woman, two kids went off the derech, Hashem Yachem. It's not one Gogu Magog, it's two. Before that day, just a few hours before I talked to this woman, before I came to the show, I talked to another couple. Also, Hashem Echem, the son of the Derech. He was frum, he was tzaddik, he was good, he was the do 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 every tzaddik, little malach. We thought he was Mashiach. Now he's Hashem Echem. He's uh, he's maybe an angel, but uh, different side. People go off the Derech. They don't stay normal. They don't just become like a secular person that still believes, just doesn't feel like doing. No, they go anti. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai says this is scarier than Gogu Magog. Scarier. This is more painful than Gogu Magog. It's a repetition of seeing your heart being ripped every second you see this child. And now you also have to make a very difficult decision if you have other children. What's the decision? Can I keep this kid in the house? While I know 
that it's only a matter of time before he affects the other kids. It's only a matter of time before he affects the other kids. You have four or five kids, all little tzaddikim, all want to go to yeshiva, all want to be modest, all want to be good, but you have the one of the kids just turned to a little amalek. But everybody looks up to him. What are you going to do? They look up to him. They look up to him and they see him going to clubs. They look up to him. They see him going to uh, pubs. They look up to him. They see him wearing uh, clothes with holes in it. They look up to him and see he has a girlfriend now. And he wants to bring her to the house even though her name is Christina. What are you going to do? It's a difficult decision. That's so easy. That's so pursuit. Say, oh no, no, kick him out, kick him out. What do you mean, kick your son? At the same token, well, you're going to risk four to save for, for, for to entertain one? It's a very difficult decision. That's why Rabbi Shimon says, scare, this is scarier than Goguma Gogu. Scarier than Goguma Gogu. And that's why for this, it's a every single second preparation. The reason why the two are connected. Why Gogu Magog and the child are connected? What's the relevance between the two? Why couldn't he say it's scarier than, uh, I don't know, uh, a car accident? It's scarier than a surgery. It's scarier than, uh, I don't know, some other thing. There's many things that are scary in the world. Rabbi Shimon says, why? Because for both of these, it's a lifetime of preparation. There's no break. To prepare for the time of Gogu Magog, the time of Mashiach, lifetime of preparation. There's no breaks. There's no vacation. There's no cruise. There's no Shabbaton with cruise of singles. There's no, there's no, there's no, there's no cruise. There's no vacation. It's lifetime of preparation, day and night. Even when you go to sleep, you have to know that you have to sleep on your side. Why? As a man, if you don't sleep on the side, you are much more likely to waste seed. In Shulchan Aruch, Shulchan Aruch, Nanyaron Ruven, Shulchan Aruch, Posek Lalacha. If you see your friend sleeping on his back, you're obligated to wake him up. Not, oh, it's not nice. No, no. You're obligated to wake him up if he's sleeping on his back. Why? He may kill somebody in a moment. A lot of somebodies. Yeah, but it's not perfect. He's sleeping. Good, wake him up before he commits murder. But this also pertains to women too. They're not supposed to sleep on their back or up front. Some say... Don't start that way, but if you if it happens to happen during the night, it's a different story. Point being is, Rabotai, that even during our sleep, to go to sleep, Hashem gave us protection measures. Yes, go to sleep. Hashem says, you have to go to sleep. Rambam says, normal person has to sleep eight hours. Normal person. You want to be Tamit Chacham? Cancel the normal person out of your definition. Out of your vocabulary. But Hashem says, "Go to sleep. You need to go to sleep." We have Allah, but just know, don't commit murder when you go to sleep. Go to sleep. Just don't commit murder. Sleep, I have no problems with. Murder, I do. Wasting seed is murder. If you do not teach this to your children, you'll have a problem. You'll have a problem in your house. One day, the kid wakes up and he's uh, decides that he's off the derech. Oh no, I've been keeping it in my secret for, for, for six months already. How? This is how mitzvah goeret mitzvah ve'avera goeret avera. Sin one mitzvah leads to another. One punish, one uh, um, sin leads to another. 
One mitzvah to another, one sin to another. Hashem gave us protection measures. It's not just rules. It's protection measures in order for us to protect our own neshamot and the neshamot of the little babies we bring to the world. To such an extent that if we're not so careful, then Gogo Magog, don't even worry about it. Why aren't you doomed anyway? If you have a bunch of Amaleks in your house, what do you think, you're going to be okay when, when, when Gogo Magog comes? doesn't matter if you ever keep on. Meaning... If you're, going to, if you're going to bring a neshama to the world, you're responsible for this neshama. You're responsible for this neshama. You can't just, uh, oh, no, no, he'll, he'll decide on his own. She'll decide on his own if she wants to be frum. If she's going to decide on her own, then don't bring her to the world. Do her a favor. And where do we learn this from? We learn this from David HaMelech. Sheneemar, Mizmor le David, Bebarcho mipnei Abshalom, Bno. It's a psalm, Psalm 3, verse 1. says, a song of David, as he fled from Abshalom, his son. And right afterwards it says, Adonai marabut sarai rabim kamim alai. David HaMelech says to Hashem, Hashem, how many are my tormentors? Many rise up against me. But when it comes to Gogo Magog, when it comes to Gogo Magog, David Amelech also talks about it in a different psalm, the psalm before, Psalm 2, verse 1. Psalm 2, verse 1. David Amelech says, Lama rakshu goimu leomim yegurik. David Amelech says to Hashem, Why do the people gather and the nations talk in vain? Meaning that David Amelech is dismissing the war of Gogu Magog. It's like, why are people gathering? Like, meaning, what's the, why are they so scared of Gogu Magog? Why are they so scared of Gogu Magog? Why are you so scared of Gogu Magog? Why you didn't do Chuba yet? Why are you so scared of Gogu Magog? Meaning, David Amelech said, if you did, if you did Shuva, you have nothing to worry about Gogu Magog. You're fine. But a bad son, he says, look how many my tormentors. Why? Because that he is. He's like, look, I did Shuva, but I still have Shemechem, my son is trying to kill me, Abshalom. He's trying to kill me. He's off the derech. Here we learn that having off the derech son doesn't uh, come just because you're not religious or you are religious. Or you... No. Has a lot to do with siyate dishmaya. Assistance from heaven. You're supposed to cry to Hashem on a daily basis for your children. If you didn't do tshuva, then... <laughs> we have a different shiur for you. But assuming you did tshuva for yourself, now you have to make sure the rest of the house does tshuva. You have to make sure that your kids are breathing Torah. Breathing Torah. They're not breathing the uh, basketball tournament or the, uh, the, the, the vacation on the summer so we go to camp together where all the sins in the world are made. 
A parent needs to know that when they're bringing a child to the world, they have a responsibility for this neshama. Don't worry so much about Gogu Magog and Mashiach. Worry about the neshama that's in front of you. You brought him to the world. You brought her to the world. She's married to a Goya. She's married to a Goy. That's the problem you have to deal with. Not Mashiach. Mashiach looks at your kids. doesn't have to look at you. That's what people need to stop being worried about. Because I see today that if the parent doesn't take charge himself or herself, there's no chance for the kid. Why? Where are you sending him to? You send him to the school? A lot of these schools, from what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing, the teachers, the, te- the, the Jewish teachers in some cases are worse than uh, public school. There were religious schools. In public school, they teach that you came from a monkey. That's a different story. They're monkeys. You going to have an argument with a monkey? He's going to steal your banana anyway. Well, what's the argument about? Talk about people going to religious school, and many times you hear story after story after story after story. Uh, the story Shemachem broke my heart the other day. Here, a religious girl, religious, 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 like from from birth, like to the max, made the Horrible decision. Well, really, her parents made the decision more than she did. To go to a university, a religious university. Religious university. And after she went to this religious university, she met a certain rabbi. And the rabbi teaches in class in the religious university that you cannot prove the Torah. It's all faith. Like the Christians. It's all faith like the Christians. Like the Hindus that believe in a cow because she gives birth after nine months. Not, there's no difference. Religious girl now is kofel. Mashiach comes tomorrow, she's not making it. Why? She went to university. Higher education to destroy her neshama. What's going to happen with this child? It's better off for a child to die than to go off to Derech. Than to go to one of these universities or public schools or anything. It's better off for them to die. Why? Because at least if they die without sins, they go to Shemaim, they go to Ganedin. If they go to these universities, become atheists, become uh, rationalists, what do you have? Now, a lot of people don't like this type of speech. What about college? For what? Somebody wants to study for what? Doctor, dentist. There's enough doctors and dentists. Not enough Jews. Enough doctors and dentists. Hashem doesn't need a doctor or a dentist. He needs a Jew. And if they want to go, if they must be a doctor and they must be a a, a accountant or something like that, then there's online schools. You could do it online. To go away to school? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. No college. I don't care if it's the most religious, religious university on the planet Earth. Absolutely not. Not Da'at Torah. At least not the real one. Why? Because you put a bunch of kids, 18 years old, their whole life they're in enclosed doors, their whole life they're in yeshiva, their whole life they're separate, assuming the Haredim, not talking about the uh, 
of people that grew up like me who didn't know right or left. Went to public school. My best friends were goyim. I wanted to be black half my life. Why? Because they were faster. They were stronger. I wanted to be like them. I'm serious. Wait, most of my friends were black. Why? They were the best players on the football team. I want to be like them. I didn't say, sunny goy growing up. I didn't say, bless you, Hashem, you didn't make me a goy. I said, Hashem, how come you make me a goy? There's so much faster I could be a goy in the NFL. I want to be a football player. And I realized that I'm too slow, too short, too small, too everything. Okay, I'll be a psychiatrist instead. Why? Because Hashem gave me a little bit of brain, so that helped him. The point is, Abotai, if you go to public school, it's a different story, Bechlan. I'm talking about people that are in the religious community that think that they're absolved from all the problems because they're paying $1,000 a month tuition. No, oh, I'm paying. You know how expensive the school is? My, my kid's okay. Okay, let's say he's okay. Let's say the, the yeshiva is fine growing up. Assuming you actually have enough siyad bishmaya to have a kid survive through this rotten education system that we have today. Assuming you've survived it. You got it. There are a few good ones. Assuming you have enough blessing from Hashem, you got to it. You got to it. Okay, now what? Kid's 18. Oh, you're going to send to university? To YU? To Turo? To Stern? To one of these religious universities? Okay, here's the problem. To Binghamton? It's not really religious, but there's 70% Jewish people there. Most of them coming from Flatbush. Because I know that. I used to go there. On day one, they're religious. On day two, they're not. Why? There's freedom that it's, uh, that's unusual for them. They're dorming. They have their own room. Abba and Ima are home. They don't know what we do. Oh yeah, Abba, yeah, Shabbat was great. While the guy has a beer in his hand. Shabbat was wonderful. And the cigarettes, on the other hand, the other guy is rolling a joint so they can smoke weed together after the conversation. By the second week, he's rolling the joint while he's on the conversation. This is real talk. This is real. This is really happening. You're sending your kids to these colleges, you're ruining them. So what about a doctor or a lawyer that everybody wants their kids to be a doctor or a lawyer? Okay, you have to decide. Are you scared of Gogu Magog or are you scared of a son going? Off the derech. The answer is also here. David Melech. Mashiach comes from him. He says, don't worry. I know who's the Mashiach. It's coming from me. If your kid goes off the derech, you have nothing to worry about Gogo Magog. Why? You're doomed anyway. Because it's your fault. It has to be. That's like the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Unless the kid went off the derech in his late 20s and uh, went Michigan or something. But if the kid went off the derech because you sent him to school, or you had a television uh, in your house, or you only talked uh, business on Shabbat, and you never did you by yourself, he says, don't worry about Gogo Magog. You're doomed anyway. Don't worry. It's Gogo Magog for you now. What should you worry about? Worry about the kid. Worry about the kid. Why? He's precious. He doesn't know right or left. He doesn't know anything. He's a precious little neshama. The precious little neshama. What does he know? What does she know? She's 17 years old. She thinks the rabbi is impressive. Rabbi says that the Torah is questionable. She says, oh, I agree with the rabbi. Rabbi says you can't prove this. She agrees with the rabbi. Why? It's a rabbi. It's a title. Sometimes they call them a doctor rabbi such and such. The Baalei Musa said, 
What's the problem with saying Dr. Rabbi something? Oh, it just tells you that the doctor is here to heal the rabbi because the rabbi is sick. Sometimes they forget to put the rabbi, they just put doctor. Because more people are impressed with doctor than they are rabbi. I don't blame them. Today, we don't have that many impressive rabbis. So, Abutai, a lot of people don't like to talk like this. They don't like to hear this either. Why? It's a reality check that's in every house. Every house. Not a house is not affected by this. The kid, the girl, the boy, the cousin, the neighbor, the best friend, the grandchild, you. This is every house. And part of the reason is because of the teachings. The teachings are atrocious. Teaching sometimes in the school is not so good, but sometimes the home. Parents need to know. They took a responsibility. They brought a kid to the world. Hashem didn't want to, you know, to make the woman a baby oven. He wanted to make her a mother. Mother and baby oven, two different things. Making babies, anybody can do. The cow can make babies. The donkey makes babies. Snake makes babies. The frog outside my house gave a thousand babies. What do you think, it's going to Gan Eden? No, Baruch Hashem, they left. They went, they went to a different uh, neighborhood. After 150 of them died inside my house, the rest of them realized, okay, it's not a good place for us. So, yeah, they learned Musa, they got scared. So the thing is, Rabotai, Rabotai, the thing is, bringing babies to the world is not the answer. Being parents is the answer. Now, if you are a parent, this is for you. If you're not a parent, it's also for you. Because tshuva starts with the person you see in the mirror. We start doing tshuva, and then after that, the kids are going to listen a lot more. Why? Because if you don't believe what you're telling your kids to do, why should they listen to you? Now, fighting the wicked... It's not a thing that people like to talk about, but the same Rabbi Shimon, the same Rabbi Shimon, taught Rabban Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan taught him the same thing. Rabbi Yochanan. He says, Mutar li itgarot bareshaim ba'olam hazeh. It's permissible to contend with the wicked in this world. As it is written, in Proverbs 28, 4, Those who forsake Torah praise the wicked. And those who adhere to the Torah contend with them. Meaning those people that are off the derech, those people that are not really full believers, they're like uh, mixed. They're mixed, like the mixed multitude, like the Erev Rav. Sometimes they're religious, sometimes they're not. Those types of people... Those types of people, he says, they always, they, who do they admire? They admire the wicked guy. They admire the, the, the heretic, so they bring him to give a shiur on Shabbat to the keilah. Notice, a keilah of wicked people always has a wicked person to speak to them. They're never going to bring a tzaddik. And if they bring a tzaddik, all hell's going to break loose. They're going to kick him out, they're going to make balagan, they're going to write a thing against him after that. Why? Chas v'shalom, he's trying to make us do tshuva. He's trying to make us do tshuva. 
In general, who they're going to bring? They're bringing a shayim just like them. The people that are like 50-50, like them. The people that call the Torah a story. It says those that keep Torah, those that stick with the Torah, they fight with them. It doesn't say the same thing. On one hand it says those that forsake the Torah, they praise the wicked. So logically you would say, oh, so if, if the wicked ones, if, if the ones that go off the derech, of the ones that are 50-50, or the ones that are not really keeping Torah, are going and praising the wicked, that means that the righteous ones, the ones that are keeping Torah, where should it say? It should say the ones that are righteous, the ones that are keeping Torah, who do they praise? They praise the tzaddikim. No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say they praise the tzaddikim. What do they say? They fight the wicked. There's no time to praise the tzaddikim right now. We have to fight the rishayim. The tzaddikim don't need any praise. They don't want any praise. What do they want? They want to go fight against the rishayim. You want to be tzaddik? You have to get this into your system and understand. You cannot continue to sit quiet as Am Israel is destroying itself. Now, how do we fight? How do we fight? How? What do we do? When we start uh, taking spears, what do we? We're not. Uh, we're not a violent nation. What do we do? What do we do, Rabotai? First and foremost, we need to know that everything that's happening in the world is Yad Hashem. Even the wicked being, people always ask, well, how come Hashem runs the world? How come He allows these people to live? I ask this question almost every day. How come He allows them to live? How come these people are so wicked? How come He allows them to live? One of the answers you will find also by Shlomo Melech, says, Kol pa'ala Adonai lema'aneo ve'gam rasha le'yom says, everything Hashem made, He made for His own sake. Meaning everything in the world Hashem made for Himself. Everything is for Him. Even the Rasha He made. Why? To punish Him. He lets the Rasha, He didn't make Him to be a Rasha. The guy decided to be a Rasha. Oh, so why does He let him live if He's a Rasha? How come He doesn't kill him like He killed all the Rashaim before? Why? Oh, Rasha He let him live. Why? Because there's going to be a day that I'll sanctify my name. By what? By showing you I don't break my word. I'm going to punish him and you're all going to see it. I'm going to punish her for wearing that mini skirt and you're all going to see it. That's how Hashem is going to sanctify His name. This explains a lot of how come all these Rishayim are still alive. Explains a lot. Because we see in this week's parasha that when Moshe Rabbeinu Missed an opportunity to sanctify Hashem's name, as we talked about last night. And instead of speaking to the Selah, he hid it. Hashem says, you missed an opportunity to sanctify my name, and for that you have to get punished. And the Gemara in Masechet Chagigah says, if a person did not find a way to sanctify Hashem's name, it was better off he was never born. If he didn't find a way, Lekadesh Shem Shamaim, to sanctify the name of Hashem, he didn't do something to sanctify Hashem's name. It was better off he didn't come to the world. Why? It's the only purpose you hear. The only purpose you hear. So, the next verse, Lamar Melech says, is Toivat Adonai, 
כל גבל לב, יד ליד לא ינקה. It says everyone that's haughty, anyone that's arrogant, prideful, is considered an abomination to God. Abomination means disgusting. And as I described it to you in detail just a couple of weeks ago, disgusting is just like seeing a dead animal in the middle of the street and its stomach is wide open, you see all the intestines out, that's disgusting. Someone that has pride, Hashem looks at him like you would look at a dead animal in the middle of the street. The dead animal in the middle of the street, Hashem is not disgusted of it. It's his creation. But the guy that thinks he's a big shot, talks about how much money he has, talks about how much wisdom he has, talks about how great he is, or the woman that walks around showing off her body because she wants everyone to know she's beautiful, with clothes and without. Those people, she's the disgusting to Hashem, like a dead animal with the intestines out in the street is disgusting to you. And then Shlomo HaMelech continues and he says, he will not be exonerated. Hand to hand, he will not be exonerated. Meaning, if he dies, still prideful, he will not be forgiven. He will not be forgiven for dying with pride. What does it have to do with anything? What does it have to do with uh, that Hashem created everything for the good, for Himself, even the wicked, and now He's saying, oh, there's a certain type of wicked, prideful, He's not going to be forgiven. Well, what's the two? So, oh, you don't want to be that rasha. You don't want to. You want to end up being that rasha that, that Hashem says that uh, your day of punishment. That's that's going to be happen. You don't want to be that guy. Oh, first thing first, remove pride. First thing, whatever pride you have, work day and night. Day and night to remove it. Why? That's your ticket to tshuva. That's your ticket to tshuva. As long as you have pride, your tshuva cannot be. It cannot be. So now, how do we get to remove this pride? Next verse, Shlomo HaMelech continues, בחסד ואמת יחופר אבון וביראת אדוני סור מרע through kindness and truth iniquity will be forgiven meaning if you actually do tshuva Hashem will give you the kindness of forgiving your sin he did tshuva how? how do you do tshuva? if through fear of Hashem one turns from evil if your tshuva begins with יראת שמיים if you stop doing evil because of Yirat Shamaim, then I'll forgive you. Why doesn't it say if you love Hashem, then I'll forgive you? How come? Because you cannot love Hashem if you don't fear Him first. And if you fear Hashem, he says, you work backwards. If you fear Hashem, I'll forgive you. Why did I forgive you? Because you're no longer prideful. Why did I forgive you? Because you're not prideful anymore. If you're not prideful, you did Shuvah. Oh, good. Then you could be the guy that's fighting the Rashaim. So now, Rabotai, we see that we need to learn a lot. 
A person cannot afford to be a fool in this world. You cannot afford to be an ignorant person in this world because you're not going to know this. A person that just thinks he's going to breeze through life, get his uh, little daf yomi here and there. Daf yomi only once a while. Not daf yomi, not yomi. Daf yomi once a week. Even though it's one page a day, it's supposed to be, he does the daf yomi once a week. And he's going to get a little shiur in between Mincha and Arvit that he's not really paying attention to because on the phone checking what the stock market closed at. And he's going to listen to the shiur but in the background while uh, he's texting and uh, calling and looking and this and that and he's fixing his car. It's in the background all the time, not just sometimes. And he gets his main shiur on Shabbat, Sudash Lichit, while he's eating hummus like he hasn't eaten all day. person like that can breeze through life 70, 80, 90 years and not know what we just said. Shem A person can die with pride, can die thinking he's about tshuva and he's not even close. So here, Rabotai, we have to understand the first thing first, you have to be a student. You have to be a student of the Torah. You cannot afford to be ignorant. You cannot afford to be ignorant. Because the Gemara in Masechet Brachot also says something else about the ignorant people. Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan, whenever Rabbi Yochanan completed learning the book of Job, he would say the following, in the end to, to a person's life, he's going to die. And the, the end of every man, he's going to die. Everybody's going to die. And the animal's end is also slaughter. And all are poised for death. Everything else, not just a cow and not just a person, everything else, the lion, the bear, the, the, the yatush, the mosquito, everything is going to die at some point. Fortunate is the one who grew in Torah. And whose toil is in Torah. And gives pleasure to his creator. And who grew up with a good reputation, literally meaning a name, name in Shamaim, name over here, and who departed from the world with a good reputation. And Shlomo HaMelech said on him, Tov Shem, Mishem and Tov. And Shlomo HaMelech wrote about such a person in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 1. A good name is better than good oil. And the day of death better than the day of birth. So here we learn... Shlomo HaMelech says, if a person toiled in Torah, found out the truth, continued to toil and toil and go and go and go and go, he could build himself a good name. Not just here with the people, because he worked on his midot, but also in Shemaim. And then the day of death is even better than the day of birth. Why? Because he knows he's going to Gan Eden. So what's the, what do we learn? Why is he comparing? What's the, so what does it have to do with the Behemah? 
What does that have to do with the cow? Why did, he, why did Rabbi Yochanan start this whole thing saying, the man dies, the cow dies? And then if he has a good name, good. He goes to Ganadin. What is teaching you the secret. Without Torah, the cow is better than you. Because both are going to die. Torah doesn't have an option, Gan Eden Geinum. You do. You can get the Gan Eden Geinum. Torah, Gan Eden. No Torah, Geinum. Without having Torah Rabotai, a person is, is less than a cow. Forget being the same as a cow. At least the cow is doing something. That's what Rabbi Yochanan is trying to teach. You don't have Torah. Don't look down at the cow. And the more you learn of the things that are happening in the world today, you start realizing more and more that when Hashem said, there's no wisdom but the wisdom of Torah, He meant it literally. You look at the world around you, the more you get clued and glued to Hashem, and more you learn and more learn and learn and learn, you start seeing that the world that's empty of Torah is also empty of Chuchmatu. It's also empty of wisdom. They make foolish mistakes, foolish decisions, foolish lives, emptiness. There's no point. It's just purposeless lives, purposeless decisions. And you see things that are just, no one with a little bit of conscience or a little bit of of wisdom or a little bit of just any common sense would make such a decision. Like, for example, do you know that the U.S. government U.S. government, it's in charge of taxes. Taxes. All of you citizens that are paying taxes. Over a half a billion dollars a year. Over half a billion dollars a year. 535 million last time I saw. 535 million dollars a year. They take from its citizens. To what? To go kill 3 million of you every year. By who? By Planned Parenthood by an abortion clinic that's all over the country, that's killing a few million people every year. And you pay for it. The CEO of Planned Parenthood that's already been in charge of killing three and a half million babies, just got, not too, not too, not too long ago, got the uh, Human Rights Award or something like that. The most absurd thing it's like uh, Obama getting the Peace Nobel Prize. She got like a human rights award. Like she's so good for human, what human rights? You're killing people. This is no different than Hitler, Imach Shimo, the kid tell, killed tens of millions of people and six million Jews. Him getting the Nobel Prize or the human rights award. Oh, I just killed six million Jews. Oh, okay, there's an award for it. Do you understand the absurdity you understand the stupidity? Only a people without wisdom can make such a stupid decision. It's no different than Eretz Israel. Eretz Israel is supposed to be a nation of Jews. That's why it's called Israel, because it comes from the Torah. 
when they went and fought with the United Nations, oh, give us a nation, give us a nation. Why? Why should we give you a nation? Well, it really belongs to us. Why does it belong to you? Oh, look, he held up the Tanakh. Look, it's written in this book we got 3,000 years ago. Oh, so how come you don't, you don't do the rest of what it says in the Tanakh? That's what they should have answered him. How come you don't do the rest of what it says? How come you hire missionaries to work for you? How come you hire missionaries to work for the president's office? How come you give the missionaries their own section in Israel? Land, land and more land. This Yimach uh, this uh, one particular missionary organization called Ayovel. Stealing neshamot on a daily basis. They have land, land, acres and acres of land of people taking and uh, making money off the land and also stealing the Shemot while they're doing it. Stealing the Shemot while they're doing it. So how come you, how come you, how come Jewish nation is doing it? Why? Because unfortunately, the Israeli government is not so Jewish. And they do things that are empty of Jewishness. Meaning, empty of Torah. Meaning, Empty of Torah, empty of wisdom. So here we see that Hashem Barach didn't only give us the Torah so we can get the Gan Eden. He gave us the Torah so we could avoid Gehenom even in this world. The Gehenom that we can create for ourselves by making stupid decisions. Like letting our kids pick their own outfit. Oh, you buy whatever you want, honey. You tell your daughter such a thing, forget about it. What do you think she's going to wear? She's going to buy something that's modest. So the Mishnah here is telling us if you want to have a chance to be a good teacher, first be a student, first be a vessel. And we started the Mishnah last night and it said, Arba midot chachamim. Sfog umashpech meshameret venafa. Sfog sheu sofeget akol umashpech shemachnis bezo mozi bezo. Meshameret shemozia et a yain. Vekoletet et a shmarim. Venafa shemozia et a kemach. Vekoletet et a solet. Translation There are four types among those who sit before the sages. Here we learned last night that this is teaching us first requirement to be a vessel is get close to your rabbi and don't miss an opportunity to see him. Don't miss an opportunity to help him. Don't miss an opportunity to serve him. Why? It's called Shimush. It's called Shimush. This is why Yeshua Benun was picked to be the leader of Am Yisrael. It wasn't because of his wisdom, because he didn't have it. The opposite, actually. But Hashem says, you're going to lead my people. Me, I'm just uh, the guy that's cleaning the bed. Yeah, exactly. I'm just uh, helping my uh, my Rabbi, Moshe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm just uh, nothing. Exactly. You have all the requirements to be the leader. Why? You understand the, the purpose of the whole Torah. The purpose of the whole Torah, you understand. You have humility. You're getting close to the rabbi. You have, you understand where you stand. You care about the glory of my name by cleaning the shul, by doing things that no one else wants to do. 
אוי, נית חוכמה, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. That's also the reason why Elisha Navi, Elisha Navi, that was the student of Eliyahu Navi, that never died and is going to come three days before the Mashiach does, as Hashem told the Prophet, Elisha Navi is remembered as Elisha, the one that poured water on Eliyahu Navi's hands. What about the fact that he knew the whole Torah? What about that he was a prophet, made miracles? What about that? That's nothing. Why? He was close to his Rebbe. He was close to his Rebbe. He did everything for his Rebbe. That means he learned things that he can't learn from a book. He learned it from seeing. He understands the point. He didn't miss a shiur. Why? A shiur was his life. Yeah, but you can watch it on YouTube. It's not the same. It's not the same. Because in the shiur, I can see my Rebbe's face. In the shiur, I could ask him a question after the shiur. I could ask a question during the shiur, meaning I'm part of it. I'm part of it. I want to be part of it. I'm part of the limud. So that's the first thing we learn. It says these four types of people, the sponge, the funnel, the strainer, and the sieve. Three different analogies, three different descriptions. The Chachamim give us Sponge is referring to somebody that retains everything without discriminating good or bad, false or true. It's a sponge, just like a sponge takes the clean water and the dirty water, so does he. The problem with that is that when you try to empty out the water, the clean water became dirty. So even the good little diamonds that he learned in a shiur, they're good. Problem is, you also learn that there's a girl that he's attracted to in Ashur and he's focusing on her the whole time. Instead of focusing on the Torah, he focused 30 seconds on the Torah. He heard some nice chidush he wrote in his notebook, but the rest of the Ashur he's looking at a girl. The rest of the Ashur he's looking at his phone. He's looking at stock market quotes. The rest of the Ashur he's thinking about this song that he heard on the way to... to uh, to the shiur, and he's thinking about how this rapper rhymed these two words. And he's so amazed of how this guy rhymed two words. Wow! And he's amazed that the rapper has all these glasses that he says are diamonds, but they're really glass. But he's so amazed of how this rapper... Meaning, he has this junk, and he has a little bit of kedusha, and he combines the two, and he said, you know what, I'll be a teacher. No thank you. Why? Because what's going to happen? You start rhyming during your shiur. You think you're a rapper instead of a mezakeh rabim. A lot of people try to be cool during their shiurs. You notice? Some people, they try to be cool. They talk cool. So the guy that doesn't distinguish the good and bad, very dangerous. Very dangerous. Then you have the funnel. The funnel retains nothing. One ear out the other. That's where they got the expression, one ear out the other. The strainer retains the wrong information. And the sieve has the power to discern and retain only the good. That's from Avot de Rabbi Natan. Okay, so we went over yesterday, the one that retains everything. Let's continue now with the funnel. The mashpech shemachnis bezo mutzi bezo. 
ברוך אתה אדוני, אלוהים מלך העולם, ושהכהנים ידעו. זה משפך, אז everything goes one year at the other. Sages explain this is like a funnel, quickly channeling all of its contents out the other end. This student almost immediately forgets everything he learns. This is every teacher's worst nightmare. It's even worse than a bad student. It's even worse than a bad student. Because sometimes you're going to have somebody that comes to a shul, but he's annoying. Obnoxious, makes fun, makes jokes, disturbs everyone. It's better to have him than someone that comes in, pretends like he's paying attention, but he doesn't know anything at the end. Why? Because at least with the annoying one, you have hope. The annoying one, you have hope. Why do you have hope? He's annoyed because he's not yet interested. You haven't bought his interest yet. You haven't interested him. You haven't gotten his attention yet. He didn't say anything that touches him yet. That's the reason he's being annoying and disturbing. You haven't, you haven't connected with him yet. Once you connect with him, you can turn him into a tzaddik. But he's going to continue being annoying because he's bored and he wants attention. So you can do stupid things. One time a guy comes to a shiur. And as Hashem, Baruch Hashem, likes to give me different wonderful tests, this year only had like five people, or four people, something like that. Any speaker would tell you that the more people they have, the better. Now, if you have a small little room and you have five people, it's not such a big deal, actually it's fine. But if you have a big room, and you have five people, it looks like you have nothing. It looks like you're alone. And one time I actually did have a shiur, I used to do shiurs at my house. And I had a time, and I did shiur, and uh, every week we'd have the shiur. And one time, no one showed up. So I went, shiur was supposed to start at 8, no one's there. I waited, I waited, I waited, because, you know, Jewish people, to know if they're Jewish, you know if they're late. If they're not late, they're probably not Jewish. So, 8.15, 8.30, still no one there. There's a shiur. Can't cancel the shiur, but there's no people. So I said, okay, now let's wait a little longer. Maybe they're going to, sometimes people come to my shiurim fashionably late, like an hour, two hours. You know, like one guy on a regular basis comes to the shiur two hours late. Regular basis. He knows it's three hours. He only wants to learn one hour, so he comes two hours late. Okay, I don't say anything. Okay, you want to learn one hour? Hopefully you do chula with the one hour. The point is, if it was only a, a two-hour shiur, he came after two hours, and it's a waste of time. Why'd you waste the guess? So now... Half hour I'm waiting, no one's here. 45 minutes I'm waiting, no one's here. My wife, Miskena, she looks at me, I'm sad, she's sad. Oh, you work, you studied all day, you left Wall Street for this. You know, not only not uh, you're not making any money, now you don't even have any students to teach. Mamash, this, this, this is the reward. I said, Shiur is going to happen tonight. Why? I showed up for the Shiur, Hashem's going to show up for the Shiur also. At 9 o'clock, one way or another, we're starting the Shiur. And nine o'clock started. We started the shiur with who? Me and Hashem. Me and Hashem started the shiur. We went into it. We went into it. What a shiur! You guys didn't know there was nobody there. 
On the camera, you just see me. You don't see Hashem. But Hashem, in the goof, in the muta goof. But the shiur was powerful. I'm talking about an hour and 15 minutes into the shiur, it's fire. One of the Talmudim comes in. He comes in, I'm screaming like this. Oh, I do. I'm Hashem is here. I'm doing the shiur. The guy comes in, he's looking for people. <laughs> Where did he get the Ruach HaKodesh? He made everybody disappear. How's he? He's looking, looking. And I'm going, I'm going, like as if it, like he, he's here, he's not here, nothing. Where in the shiur? He doesn't know what to do with himself, he's scared. He just sits there like this. For the next, you know, I think I went in for another 45 minutes, hour. And he realized, either he's going crazy or I went. Something happened here. After an hour, we finished the shiur, Baruch Adonai Le'olam, Amen Amen. And his first question, the camera goes off, he goes, wait, so you're telling me you had the shiur and nobody was here? I'm like, what was here? Hashem is here. Hashem is here. You do a shiur, Hashem comes to the shiur. You can't cancel shiur. So Hashem gives you a test. But sometimes it's more difficult than that. Sometimes you have a big room. It's not your house. You come to the shiur, and you got three people. And one of the people is new. He says to me, Ha! Nobody came for you. Not only I'm paying and my heart is broken into 16 pieces, I studied all day, all night, all this, all that, preparing for a shiur, for free. It cost me $300 to do every shiur. Sometimes 500 sometimes more, sometimes it's, it's, it costs a few hundred dollars for every shiur. It's not free. It costs money. There's the gas, there's the employees, there's the YouTube, there's all these fees for every shiur. People think it's like, oh no, no, he has nothing to do. He probably has like a few million dollars sitting in some stash. It costs money for every shiur. Everybody always says, oh yeah, he's, uh, yeah, look, look, they donated uh, $27 on Facebook. He's making plenty. Look, they donated today, big, uh, annual high, 52-week high, $101. They think, oh, look, he's making money off of it. It costs three, dollars $400 for every shiur. We think the CDs are free. Somebody has to pay for it. The car is free. Somebody has to pay for it. The employees that put all the stuff, Team Hashem, you think everybody's free? No, something else. People have to pay for it. Everything people have to pay for. Sometimes I have a shoe, I pay them to give me, just to give me the opportunity to do a shoe. Not like other people. Give me five, ten, twenty thousand dollars to come give them a shoe. I'll pay you just to let me speak to your keilah. Why? Fill up the room. I need the people to do chuba. You think, oh no, there's nothing to do. He's making money. For all of those people that think I'm hiding something or I'm making millions, I don't even take a salary from Bezalt Hashem. Not a single dollar, not a single penny. Not a single penny. This is not to make any... This is a reality. Meaning that at the very least, you want people to show up. And if they're not going to show up, we're going to laugh in my face too. That's what happened, Baruch Hashem. That's what happened one time. Three people in the crowd. I'm one of them. And one of the guys says, Ha! Nobody shows up. Nobody shows up for you. I said, yeah, I guess not. I don't have the schut. What I really want to do is take the table, throw it on his head. But uh, it doesn't look good for the Torah if I take the table Torah on his head. So I say, yeah, I don't have any merits. What can I do? I don't have any merits. What can I do? I don't have any merits. If you have merits, you have uh, people. You don't have any merits like me. You don't have people. So this is how my relationship with the students started. Sometimes a person thinks he's 
religious, even though he has no midot whatsoever. No midot, his best midah is when he's quiet, because he's sleeping. That's his best midah. To every second he's awake, he's making a sin. Every second he's awake, he's making a sin because of his horrible character traits. Making fun of people, interrupting shiurim. He doesn't realize. Why? He's made so many sins, he doesn't realize the difference between good and bad. Now, why does such a person, such a person like this, he's horrible. But even he, this horrible person, is better, is better than the student that's like a funnel where he lets in what ear and out the other. How could it be that somebody has made fun of you in your face? How could he be better than a funnel, than someone that's one that's not listening to anything? How? Because him, only reason why he's making fun, and he's annoying, and he's whatever he is, is because there's no good in him yet. You haven't taught him Torah, you haven't reached him, you haven't connected. You haven't connected yet, so he's poor guy, Miskin, what does he have? All he has is his animal traits. It's like a dog before you train them. Before you train them, he's going to pee all over your house. You can't be mad at the dog. That's what a dog does. If you put him in the field, he pees in the field. You put him in the house, he's going to pee in the house too. Le'av deal, but a human being is not that different. A human being without Torah is not that different. It's not that different. Why do you think people like their dogs sometimes more than people? Because they see that most people are not so different than the dog. Sometimes the dog is better. So the bad student, the bad student, it's not really his fault. Why? No one is connected to him yet. 30 years in the world, no one's connected to him to actually help him do real tshuva. All they tell him, told him is uh, put on a black shirt, put on a black hat, put on uh, all the exterior stuff. No one actually told him, listen, stop being an animal. No one ever told him that. So him... You have a chance with him. Even though he's annoying and obnoxious, he's going to break your heart 500 times, you have a chance. Why? All you got to put is enter some Kodesh into this empty vessel. Now the one on the other hand that's getting one ear at the other is much worse. Why is he much worse? Because he's pretending to be a student the whole time. He's sitting there, hand over hand, leg over leg, He's sipping his tea like he's interested. And he comes to the shiur, he's like, and he nods his head. He's like this. Ah, he's in, he's in. He has no idea what you're saying. He's saying like this and like that. because he's, he's thinking about his stock portfolio. He's like, yeah, wow, I bought Microsoft today. Microsoft's going to go tomorrow because it's earnings. He douche earnings. He douche with his earnings. And if Intel beats also, then I got two stays. Moshe Rabbeinu, yeah, yeah, Moshe maybe probably all the stock. It's such a good stock, Moshe probably invested in it. He's nodding to you, he's talking to you with his eye, but nothing. So you are thinking that you're teaching somebody. You're thinking, I'm investing my time into this guy. And you find out he goes home and he beats his wife. You find that he goes home and he's still Mechalel Shabbat. Already you've been teaching him for a year. He's still Mechalel Shabbat. You mentioned Shabbat in every single shiur. He's still Mechalel Shabbat. He's coming to your shiur. Don't come if you don't want to listen. It's like I used to have clients. 
He asked my advice. Now, after I gave him advice, I'm assuming we're going to take advantage of it. We're going to do something about this advice. Maybe not right away, maybe after two, three, four conversations, but within reason, we're going to do something about it. After a few conversations, I see they're not listening to my advice. They ask me more questions. I said, no, there's no more questions. No more questions, Your Honor. No, what, what was this, a uh, fortune-telling? If you're not going to listen to my advice, why are you asking? What do you think, I have, I, have, I, have, uh, I have nothing to do with my life? And some people, that's what they do. They have nothing to do. They think you have nothing to do. So they ask you questions for no reason. They're not going to listen to you. This is what they think they're like, uh, they're like opinion shopping. They have no consideration whatsoever to your time. No consideration whatsoever to other things you have to do. And I think it's like, the, it's like a Google search. Google, what is to do, 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 do? Oh, okay, let's ask Yaron. Yaron, what is to do, 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 do? They ask you random questions. Now you have to invest time into these questions. You give them answers, and you see they do the opposite anyway. Why'd you ask? Why'd you ask if you're not going to listen? Oh, I just want to know what you think. Why? What do you care? What, you, what, what do you care? This is Rabotai. A person like this is the worst type of student. And the reason why, because one year out, a thing goes one year out the other, is the teacher's going to invest an enormous amount of time into the student, and if he's not going to listen, that teacher's heart is going to be broken even worse than a student that spit in his face. Why? Because here he realizes that the whole time was a complete waste. He had no chance. To, he lost before he started. Why? Because it's not a matter of a student being stupid or smart. It has nothing to do with intellect. It has nothing to do with logic, actually. The reality is that when a person has information going one ear and out the other, it's only because of their choice. They chose to be that. They chose not to listen to you. They're coming for different reasons. They're coming because they want to make it look like they're coming. They want to make it look like they're religious. They want to make it look like they're... Uh, you know, some people come to my shilim because they were trying to impress their wife or their girlfriend or somebody. In reality, they cared less. The good thing about my shilim is you can't last very long unless you're going to do tshuva or you're going to run out. You can't come to the shul for five years and not do tshuva. Either you're doing tshuva or you're leaving after a couple of months. After a few shulim, you can't take it. Why? You're going to get hit in the head every time that uh, you're the rasha that I'm talking about every time because you haven't done tshuva. You can't last very long. That's the good news. But still, nonetheless, you see people falling off three, four, five months you invested into them. And you see they stop coming. It hurts. Why? Oh, this is another guy, another guy, another guy. Now you build on them. You build on them because it's more, oh, he's guy. He's going to bring a friend. He's going to bring a friend. She's going to bring a friend. Eventually, it's going to be a whole little family for people and they disappear like smoke. What happened? And you realize, oh, they still go to the beach to mix speech. Oh, they still go to mixed weddings. Oh, they're having a mixed wedding. Oh, she wanted to put the wig on. Oh, she didn't want to put anything on. Oh, he wants to steal at his job. Oh, that's why they stopped coming. They stopped coming because the information that we were saying, the truth that we were saying started hitting home. And they, they couldn't take any more of it. They wanted to come to make it look like they're religious because they live in a religious community. But once things started hitting home, all of a sudden, do not call list. And it's happened to me multiple times. You build a group, 15, 20 people, zero. 
15, 20 people, zero. 15, 20 people, zero. Several times it's happened. And then later on you find out it's because in reality they had one ear information going one ear out the other or at least one or two had information going one ear out the other. Eventually he or she left and now the people that were like half listening started falling also. Started falling also. They connected to them. They pulled them out and so on and so forth. Sometimes it was a rabbi that influenced them to leave. So this is the worst type of because the minimum of minimum the minimum of minimum requirement to help a person is for them to be receptive to a potential change. People contact me, Baruch Hashem, on a regular basis asking me to help a specific person. Not just a specific cause or a specific community or a specific subject but rather a specific person that's related to them. Oh, help my son, he's off the derech, help my wife, she's this, help my husband, he's this. And they want me to have a lot of one-on-ones. And unfortunately, I can't do much of it. And the reason why is because it's extremely time-consuming. As you can see, there's a lot of information. And I don't shortchange you of any of it. If I know it, I'm going to tell you it. If Hashem tells me, gives me the thought to say it, I say it. I don't shortchange you of anything. If the shiur is going to take an hour, two hours, three hours, five hours, it makes no difference. If you have more questions after the shiur for three more hours, you never see me. Listen, guys, no questions today with the exception of if I have to run to the airport. All the time I'm here, more, as much time as you guys need. Why? Because I know that every single little bit of information that Hashem gave me, and you need it, it could potentially change your life. It could save your life. So it's not... I don't have the right to just, if you already came all the way here, I don't feel like I have the right to just shortchange you for this information and make you wait a whole week for it. Now, when people want me to do one-on-ones, that means that they want me to, in essence, make a one-on-one lecture with a person that doesn't end. And the reason why is because the same attitude applies. There's No, no, no it's only a five-minute call. There's no such thing as a five-minute call in my life. There's no such thing as a five-minute call. Why? You're going to say your name. I'm going to say my name. You're going to tell me, how you doing? I'm going to say, how you doing? Then you're going to go into your whole little Megillah that by itself takes 20 minutes. And then I'm going to go into the solution that takes an hour and a half. There's no such thing as five minutes. There's no such thing as five minutes. So, now I can't avoid it either. I can't say, no, I don't talk to anybody either because people need, people see you in a, they have their own personal issues, they want to talk to you and so on. So what do you do? So the solution is as follows. For anyone that wants me to help them with a one-on-one situation, if I can make time, first and foremost, it has to be like a real situation. It has to be like a real reason of why like they need me specifically, not some local person that can help them with it. If it's just, uh, I don't know, some people I don't go a little, a little overboard, like they ask me if they should buy a dress or they should buy a hat or they, what is the meaning of this word? Go on Google! Just like you text me, what's the meaning of XYZ? Go on Google, what's the meaning of XYZ? Don't tell me you don't have technology, you text me. You emailed me. Like some people go a little overboard with with, with questions. Not that I'm against it, it's just that, come on, respect the time a little bit. So, the thing is though is that people want you, they want you specifically, they want you to talk to you, no problem. This is once you 
do this, you become a public figure, you are now a servant of the public. There's no problem. But there's conditions. What's the conditions? The condition is, is that I tell them, before I talk to them, before I talk to them, I need to know, I need to know if I'm the right vessel. Just because I speak well to you, and you like what I say or how I say it, does not mean that the same will apply to them. Sometimes, I can say the perfect thing, but you simply don't like the sound of my voice. You simply are irritated by the sound of my voice. Or you think I'm so ugly that you can't even look at me. Or you think that what I say is so repulsive that it doesn't matter what language I say, that you're not going to listen to it. Point is that sometimes a person is just doesn't want you to be the vessel. So the first thing, the first step, is to determine whether I'm the right vessel. The second step, which is done at the same time, is to determine if you are willing, if that person is willing to commit the minimum of minimum of requirement for this to work. What is the minimum of minimum? Meaning there's no way, this is the minimum. There's no like, is, uh, oh, can I get away? No, there's nothing. This is the minimum. The minimum of minimum is for the person to be receptive to a potential change. But by receptive, I don't just mean, oh no, I'll listen to you, you talk, I'll listen to you. No, no I don't mean that. I don't mean anybody, can, a donkey could listen to me also, a wall could listen to me. doesn't mean that the wall is going to do tshuva. By receptive, I mean you are willing to put in effort. It's a two-way street. Not money. I don't need your money. Effort. Effort means you're going to invest time into this. Before I invest time, I want to know if you're going to invest time. So the first step is, I give them a lecture. Nine out of ten times, it's my personal story. Because once a person can tells me and shows me that they can sit for two and a half hours and listen to me talk, and they connect nonetheless, then I know, okay, we have a chance. We have a chance, because if you could listen to me talk for two and a half hours, that means you could probably listen to me for a half hour, two, or an hour, or so on. You could listen for two and a half hours, that means that you probably liked something that I said, you agree with something, maybe not everything, but something that I said. You can't sit there for two and a half hours and, 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 and disagree with everything. You're going to shut it off. But how do I know you really watched it? Your feedback. You have to give me real feedback. Like, what do you think? Oh, it was good. If it was all good, oh, okay. I'll give you another lecture. Here's another lecture to watch. Why well, no, I can't talk to you now. No, I need you to, I need more than it was good. Why? Who? What? Well, like, something. It's not, we're not Siskel and Ebert. We're not, I'm not looking for movie reviewers. I need to know you vested your time, your effort into it. You got something out of it. You've connected to me and you determined, yes, that's the vessel. I want from him. He says true. Okay, that's, that's what he says. Okay, I get it. I get it. I agree with certain things. I don't know other things. I disagree with some things. But I could, I could sit with this guy and I could listen to him. And if he says something, I'll definitely consider it more than the average Joe. And even more so. Once you've determined I'm the vessel, then we have something to talk about. But until a person shows me that they are willing to sit down and invest time into it, 
no conversation will take place. No conversation will take place because I know nine out of ten times is a complete waste of time. People just like to hear themselves talk and I don't have that kind of time. So it's important to know that a person is willing to help themselves because without them being willing to help themselves by investing time into themselves, by investing time into the cure, you can't help them. You have the cure. You're giving it to them. If they throw it in the garbage, it's a waste of time. Give it to somebody else. So even if you possess the cure, if they're not willing to take the pill, we're finished. There's no, what's the point? Go somewhere else. Find a new client. Find a new customer. So for all of those people that want that personal attention for your specific issue and so on, this doesn't just apply to me. This really applies to anybody. Before you recommend people to, to other people, you have to recommend their work first. Oh, read his book. And then set up a meeting with him. Watch his lecture. Watch his video. And oh, no, no, I watched a few of his five-minute clips. That's not watching. The five-minute clip, you know, even uh, motivates the, uh, the wall. I'm not talking about five. I'm talking about his real work. Oh, yeah, I read, I read the, the preface to the book. What, the, the, the page and a half? Where half of it he says thank you to his wife and his cousin and his aunt and his everything else? No. Read the book. Yeah, I read a chapter and a half. Which one? The last one that has six words? Read the book. Watch the three-hour lecture. Sit there, invest time, write notes, and so on. Put yourself in there. Why waste your time? I wish every professional had his work like that, but unfortunately they don't. It make decisions much easier and much better. But, needless to say, if a person is not willing to do that, then that means that the teacher has to run away. Run away. Why? Because the student is going to be a student that is simply a funnel. Whatever you say, it's going to go one ear out. The other, you're simply wasting your time. Because they've already decided not to listen to you before you started talking. They bought the book just to put it in their shelf. They're not planning on reading it. So this is a nightmare student. The next type of student, Rabotai, says, Meshameret shemotziayet ayayin vekoletet dashmarim. A strainer, the third type of student, the strainer, which lets the wine flow through and retains the sediment. This third type of student only retains a small minor, trivial points of falsehood, the Rambam says. And he allows all of the important truths, in essence, the wine, to slip out of his memory. This is a student that's one step above nightmare. Why? This person is looking to be a kofel. He came to your shiul, or he watched the shiur, to look for the mistakes, or the issues, or the complications, or the things that don't make sense maybe, or didn't flow right, or the ones that serve his case, even though you're talking about Esav, he is making it as if you're talking about J.C. Penny. Even though you're talking about Yaakov, you're talking about J.C. Penny. Even though you're talking about the donkey, he says you're talking about J.C. Penny. Even though you're talking about the nation of Israel, he's J- everything is J.C. Penny. Everything. 
Everything is he's connecting everything to his. He's already made the decision of what everything's about, and he is looking at your speech to see how he's going to connect it. This is a mean. This is a person that's a professional, professional rasha. And unfortunately, many of these missionaries spend time watching my shiurim and Rav Mizrahi's shiurim and a few other rabbis' shiurim specifically to look for tools to make their case better. So they'll take the good story full of Kodesh that we say in our shiur, they'll say it to their kila and spin it to serve their cause. Say, yeah, 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 JC was right there, he was in the window. Did you see him? Oh, you didn't see him? Yeah, you don't have Ruach HaKodesh, that's why you don't see it. That's why you don't see You don't have Ruach HaKodesh, that's why you didn't see it. So, such people are very dangerous. Very, very dangerous indeed. Because they're looking to be a kofel. The other time this is applies, is the people that do not like rebuke to such an extent that when they hear it, they hear it, they start shaking. It, it bothers them to hear that the Torah rebukes harshly anyone that goes against it. Anyone that's considered an enemy of Hashem, whether because they are Mechalel Shabbat, or they decided to go against the rabbis on a regular basis, or whatever the case may be, the Torah defines them and calls them a rasha, a wicked person. And these people that sometimes wear a tzitzit and a kippah, they can't hear it. If you guys remember, a week or two ago, a few people came to the shiur, and one guy after the shiur started shaking visibly. After the shiur, well, he said, yeah, but I don't know, why did you mention these people? Why do you call them rasha? Who are we to call people Rasha? I said, I didn't call them Rasha. Hashem called them Rasha. Hashem called them Rasha. No, we don't understand. Ah, ooh, ah. It's hard. It's hard for me to hear it. Hard for you to hear it. What do you mean it's hard for you to hear it? It's all over the Torah. Half the Torah is about Rashaim. Half the Torah is about Rashaim. No, but no, you know, in, in Breslev and... And this and now we have and we love everyone and you chasidut and we love everyone. How can we talking bad about Am Yisrael? No, 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 no. Let's not mistake. I'm not talking about Am Yisrael. I'm talking about Rishayim. Rishayim. Once they've decided to be Rishayim, they're no longer part of Am Yisrael. This shook him up even more. What? What do you mean? His mom is Jewish. His father's Jewish. How can you be the one saying he's not? I'm not, I'm not saying he's not Jewish. Hashem said he's not Jewish. And this makes them so uncomfortable because all they can think of is their cousin and their aunt and their brother and their sister and their mother and their neighbor and their girlfriend and their boyfriend and all of the people that they know that fall into this definition of a rasha and they don't have the zealousness or real love of Hashem like they say they do, to tell those people, stop going against my Abba and Shemaim. Stop spitting in his face, you Rasha. Stop being a Mechalel Shabbat and asking for Parnassah too. 
Not only are you violating my, 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 my father's laws, but on top of it, you're asking him for money. Menuval. That's what you should tell them, in your own nice way. Rabotai, you tell them, listen, this is what the Torah says. Hashem calls them enemies. Hashem calls them reshaim. They don't like it. They don't like it. Why? They think that the whole shir is about, oh, you're only calling people out. You're only going against people. You're only, only, only. Wait a minute, I talked for three hours. The whole shir, the whole three hours, I'm talking about that. No, there's other things we talked about. And that's because they want to use the argument of Tinok Shenishba. What's Tinok Shenishba? Tinok Shenishba, according to the Gemara in Masechet Avodah Zarah, it says, throughout the generations, unfortunately, Am Yisrael has been in the exile for already 2,000 years. And in those 2,000 years, there hasn't been a single year we didn't suffer. Some years worse than others. And throughout the sufferings, many times the Goim decided that it's not enough that they're just torturing us. They want to take it to the next level. What do they want to do? They want to take our people and make them believe that they are them. So they steal our babies. Sometimes they steal our babies with a smile. Sometimes they steal our babies with a punch in the face. Depends. Sometimes they just steal the kidnap the kid and raise him like a goy and make the kid think that he's a goy. But more times than not, it even happened during the Holocaust where certain people pretended to be friends of Jews and told him, listen, listen, we'll hide your kid and, and save his life so Hitler doesn't kill him. And I'll just put him in the church. So after the World War II, after the Holocaust, the parents that survived came to the places, came to the reverend, came to the pastor, came to the Oved Abu Dazarah, came to those people, said, okay, I want my kid back. The kid? What kid? What kid? Yeah, that one. Not your kid. It's my kid. What do you mean? I thought you were a virgin. No, no. Before. All of them my kids. Like, all of a sudden, they pretended like, no, no, it's my kid. It's not your kid. And some parents weren't able to get their kids. Mamash, they steal the kids. This is not once, twice, three times, four. This happened throughout all the generations. And the kid could literally grow up not knowing that he's Jewish. So according to the original Gemara, according to the original Halakha, that's a tinok shenishba. A tinok, a baby that was stolen by the goyim and doesn't know he's Jewish. Obviously, this baby, Hashem made that happen. This baby is not going to be judged as a sinner the same way as someone who knows he's a Jew. That's a Tinok Shenishba. The Gemara goes further. It says, what about a Goy that converted? A Goy that converted to Judaism, but then went back and hung out with his non-Jewish friends and stopped keeping the mitzvot. He uh, stopped doing it. So what do you mean? So he converted and he just he went to the Jewish community then he left? He goes, no, no. He never officially left his community. He stayed there. Originally he wanted to convert. But after the, the momentum went away after six months, a year, six, whatever it was where he didn't feel like uh, doing it anymore, he stopped. He says that person never converted to begin with. 
A person never converted to the beware. You can't be a Jew if you stay exactly where you are. You have to become part of the Jewish people. He says, what about if a, uh, if they, no one ever taught him to keep Shabbat? They converted him, but they never taught him to keep Shabbat. Gemara says, they converted him without telling him to keep Shabbat. That's no conversion like that. That's the foundation of Judaism. If you're not going to teach the guy the foundation of Judaism by telling him that, according to the Rambam, by telling him that if you break Shabbat, Hashem is going to kill you, if you don't tell him the foundation, his conversion is void. A conversion never took place. He can go into the, he could swim in the mikveh for a week. It's not going to help him. Anyone that converts without keeping Shabbat, his conversion is void. There's no conversion. Yeah, but the rabbi said, the rabbi can say until he's blue in the face. In Shemaim, you're not a convert. You're nothing. You stayed exactly where you are. You came in there, Esav, you're staying Esav. You came in Ishmael, you stayed Ishmael. So now, now Rabotai, some of the Chachamim said yes, but sometimes you have certain people that uh, were born into the kibbutz, secular places. Secular places, atheism, communism. What about them? They never really knew what Judaism was. They never knew what Judaism was. They knew they were Jewish. They were called Jewish, but they didn't actually know what that means. So there are a few, a few, very few, less than a handful of opinions that say if somebody grew up in such a place, maybe they can fall under the definition of Tinok Shanishba. But the majority of the opinions say no. If he knows he's Jewish... There's no such thing as a person who knows he's Jewish but doesn't know at least what something is. Like, unless he lives, I don't know, in, in, in Greenland and he's surrounded by snow and ice. Talking about if he lives in New York, in, uh, in, uh, in Pennsylvania, in California, in uh, Israel somewhere, all these, all over Europe, different, different random places. He sees Jews. He sees Jews. He knows Judaism. Maybe he doesn't know all the laws. Maybe he doesn't know all the punishments. But he's, so he sees a bunch of people with a hat, people with kisui losh, uh, women covering their hair, dressing differently, acting differently. They have a book they call the Torah. They, they have a day they call Shabbat. He knows this, this Hanukkah. Once he knows, he's not Tinoch Shanishba. Even more so, some people want to say, only today, no poskim, just people. Some of them call themselves rabbis. No, no, all secular people are Tinokot Shanishba. And this question came up to me many, many times. And it came to me again recently. So let's explain Tinokot Shanishba once and for all. Once and for all, we'll have this debate. Beginning, middle, end. Five minutes. Even if one wants to rely on the opinion that people are Tinokot Shanishba, even if one wants to rely on the opinion that all secular people are babies that were stolen because their father and their mother raised them secular. Their father and their mother raised them eating pig and bunnies and camels and uh, driving on Shabbat and uh, eating chametz on Pesach and uh, eating a mac and cheese on Yom Kippur. Let's say. 
even if, let's say, you want to rely on the fact that just because he grew up secular, going to public school like I did, he's considered a tinok shenishba. You still cannot use that argument. Why? Because this tinok shenishba, number one, the minute he goes to a synagogue, one time in his life, he is officially no longer a tinok shenishba. Why? He realizes that there is something called Judaism. And Judaism is different from everything else. There are laws. There's rules. There's punishment. There's reward. Just by being there. And realizing that there's signs on the wall where they ask you, don't speak during prayer. You realize that there's something special about this prayer. Oh, we're praying to something. Oh, there's a God. Oh, why is it? Oh, he gave us the Torah. Once a person, any person that's a normal person, goes to a synagogue, realizes something there. The minute they're inside a synagogue, that's it. They're no longer Tinoch Shanishba. So all, the vast majority of secular people go to shul once a year for Yom Kippur, twice a year for maybe for, for Hanukkah or something. They're no longer Tinoch Shanishba. Or if one of these Chabadniks goes over there and puts Tfilin on them, even if he's eating a pig five minutes later, once he put on Tfilin, he's no longer Tinoch Shanishba. He officially knows there's something here. Once he gives tzedakah, and he knows it's a mitzvah. He's no longer tinok shenishba. He's no longer tinok shenishba. Now let's say you don't want to listen to that part. Let's say you just, like I didn't say it. Like it's not written. Let's say, okay. Let's say it, I didn't say it. Now if your son or daughter and it has to be your son or daughter. Nobody else's son. Why? Because you're not going to care about somebody else's son. You're going to care about your son. So I want you, Mr. Rabbi, to look in the mirror when you're saying this to yourself. If your son, and you have your son or daughter right next to you, looking at yourself also, all, all, this whole session, you should look at each other. Look at your son. Look at your daughter. Someone stole your son or daughter. Someone stole them. Rasha, missionary, stole them. Took them away from you. You don't have any access to them. They don't even want the bounty. They don't want any, any, any money. They don't want anything. They just want your son. They want your daughter. And one of your friends said, Oh, yeah, your son and daughter, yeah, they're, they're, they're in my office. They come every day with the, with the guy that stole them. They come every day. They come every day with the guy that stole them. You bring them to the door. You can tell them, Oh, Wow, uh, that's too bad. What are you going to tell them? So bring them. And he starts, my son. Bring my son. Bring my son. No, no, I can't. It's not my business to bring your son. What do you mean it's not your business? It's my son. Bring my, save my son. Show me where your office. I'll go bring my son. Let me do something. Save my son. Why are you letting my son stay like that? He stole him. He robbed him. It's my son. What do you think Hashem is saying? What gives you the right to let him stay at Tinok Let's say he's a Tinok Shirishba. Let's say his parents, uh, you know, or somebody stole him. The Yetzirah stole him for 30 years. Fine. Let's say. But once you see, that's Hashem's son. What gives you the right to keep him a hostage for the Yetzirah and not tell him the truth? Hey, son, you're Hashem's son. You're Hashem's son. You have to do tshuva. What gives you the right to leave him like that? You cannot leave Hashem's son a prisoner. Once you've identified that's Hashem's son, you have no right to keep him that way. To keep him a prisoner. 
So even if you want to use the fake excuse that everyone in this generation, 90% of American Jews that violate Shabbat, they're all Tinokotcha and Ishba. They're all stolen babies. They're prisoners. Okay, you've identified them. You've identified they're all children of Hashem. Why are you keeping them prisoners? Why don't you tell them, come back. No, no, this is your father. He's over here. Make a right, make a left. I'll take you. You know what? I'll take you. Come, jump in the car. Why are you going to leave them prisoners? Okay, the whole Tinokotcha and Ishba. Okay, they stole them. Fine. Let's say you're right. Why are you keeping them that way? Why can't you tell them, listen, you have to keep Shabbat. They stole you. I'm going to save you. Why? You call yourself a lover of Hashem? While you see his kids staying prisoners? You're the most vicious person on planet Earth. Paro is looking at you from Gainom, says he's worse than me. At least I killed bodies. He's killing Nashamot. Paro is better than you. And that's why the Gemara in Masichet Shabbat Page 119, I believe, says there's no other reason that the Bet Amikdash was destroyed other than the fact that people chose not to rebuke, not to tell the truth, not to tell all of these Tinokot Shenishbu, hey, your father is Hashem. You have to listen to him. This is not your father. Let me show you the way home. So even if you want to use your excuse, that they're all Tinakot Shinishba. You still can't keep them that way. You still can't keep them that way. And that's why Rabotai, the rest and the majority of the poskim say that all of the seculars are not Tinakot Shinishba. Even if they grew up in secular neighborhoods and secular lives and all of that other stuff, they're still not. Why? Because in today's world, it's impossible. It's impossible not to know at least the basic minimum of what distinguishes you from being a non-Jew. Once you know you're a Jew, you know you're different from everybody else. Even if you don't know the entire Torah, you know you're different from everybody else. Why? It's everywhere. Hashem made it made sure to make sure that it's everywhere. You have Torah everywhere. On your phone, at work, on TV even. On TV even. On the internet, on Facebook, on Twitter, on everywhere there's Torah, everywhere there's people that look Jewish, everywhere there's a, a Bet Knesset, everywhere. So for all of those people that want to fight the case, if you will, for Am Yisrael, as if they're doing them a favor, say, no, no, they're all Tinakot Okay, let's say you're right. Why are you leaving them prisoners then? Oh, they're not really prisoners. It's just that what you're doing you're telling them they're prisoners. Why? Because you're telling them, listen, you don't have to do anything except give tzedakah. Except give me a little bit of money and I'll fight for you in Shemaim. And that's exactly what happened with this young person that I met a couple of weeks ago. Masha broke my heart. Why? The kid calls himself religious. I asked him right away, because today I know this, religious is a meaningless word almost. Orthodox, even less. I say, you keep Shabbat? Well, no, no, I don't keep Shabbat, but you know, I'm religious. I say, how are you religious? Because I lay tefillin every day. Because my father is more religious. I say, how is your father more religious? He goes to the Knesset every day. I say, you go with a car on Shabbat? Because, yeah. I said, he's not religious. 
He's not religious at all. He goes, what do you mean he's not religious? Every year, he tells me, every year on Yom Kippur is a competition between him and Mr. Such and Such in the Keilah on buying the Aliyah for Parnassah. And no year has it ever been less than $100,000 that my, fi- my father donated. And I'm th- right now, as he's saying the story, my heart is shattering to pieces. Why? I'm thinking, this rabbi of this Kela is mamash worse than Paro, worse than Hitler. Why? How can you take, let's say, I mean, this has been going on for years, he's been going to this Chabad actually. He's going to this Chabad in Boca Raton for years. Now, how are you going to take at least $100,000 a year from a guy for 20 years? That's $2 million. 20 years. You can't tell the guy, keep Shabbat, save your own neshama. He paid you $2 million. Hasn't he earned a little bit of truth? Hasn't he earned? Even Moshe Rabbeinu did it for free. You took $2 million. At least tell him the truth. Tell him the truth. Tell him stop driving on Shabbat. You took the money. I can't believe it. How wicked people are. Mamas, this is evil. In my eyes, in Torah's eyes, evil. There's no other way to describe it. You take money from somebody and you don't tell them the minimum of minimum of what's going to save their neshama. Evil. That's the student. That's the student that's only looking for bad because sometimes that student can be called a rabbi. What does he do? He keeps all the good for himself. The money, yeah, give me the money. You keep the bad. You still stay in the Shabbat. You still eat donkeys. You still act like an Arab. You still do whatever it is. You're still like the same. You stay bad. But give me the, give me the money though. Give me the money. Unbelievable how evil people are. Why you don't like it? This is happening in every Bikneset. Every Bikneset that I've seen around here, every Bikneset is happening. Why? You see, every Bikneset has a parking lot that's alive. Alive and running on Shabbat and no one says anything. Unbelievable. How could you be so evil? How can you be so evil? Tell the guy, keep Shabbat. It's the minimum of minimum. You're not even doing him a favor. It's for you too, because you're going to go up to Shemaim, they're going to judge you worse. You're Machtia Rabim. Lastly, Rabotai, now that we've gone through the Reshaim stage, we finished the Baruch Hashem, we still have a heart to have some hope. The Torah. In this week's parasha, calls the Torah Sefer Milchamot. Sefer Milchamot is another name for the Torah. Now, some of the sages say Sefer Milchamot was actually a certain type of book that had all the special miracles that Hashem did for Am Yisrael. But others say, no, no, it's the same chumash that you're reading from every week. Every week, the Shuchan Aruch tells you, In essence, you have to read the weekly parasha three times. Twice, just straight literal, and once with commentary. Now we think, oh, it's a little too much. I read it already last year. I'm going to tell you a little secret. We're not going to elaborate on this. 
But I heard this from Yosef Shani. He says, if a person knew just a little bit of what happens to his world, anytime he says a word that comes out of his mouth, his life would be different. But Hashem didn't want to make the sod common. And then it wouldn't be sod anymore. He didn't want to make the secret common. But he goes, I'll give you this one sod, this one secret. When you're reading the Parashat Shavua, the amount of malachim, the amount of angels that you are creating, good angels, they're going to fight for you for the rest of the week. Once you've completed reading the parasha, where's the commentary? When you understand some stuff, the amount of angels and kedusha that you brought to your personal life is extraordinary. You have like a shield protecting you for the week. Meaning that by not doing it, you've simply opened up your jacket, you said, go ahead, shoot. Committed spiritual suicide for that week. All of a sudden you get stressed out too quickly. All of a sudden you get angry too quickly. All of a sudden you're not, things don't add up. Your neshama is not where it's supposed to be. Why? You didn't do the basics. You didn't do the basics. You gotta do the basics, Abutai. These things that you seem like they're unimportant, they're a big deal. Now, the Sefer Milchamot, also, this Torah, is also the wars of Hashem, meaning the wars of truth. You have to fight for the truth. You have to fight for the truth of Hashem. And that's what the Gemara Masechet Moed Katan, page 25b, says, what wars are we talking about? We're talking about the wars for the truth, the truth of Hashem. The truth of Hashem is what a person needs to fight. Why does he have to fight for these truths? Because what he's trying to be is the nafa. He's trying to be the sieve. What's the sieve? The sieve allows the flower dust to pass through and retains the flower. Meaning the sieve symbolizes the best student who retains the essential and truthful points of the subject and rejects all of the falsehood, all of the superfluous nonsense. That's the goal of every single person here that's supposed to be the goal of every person on earth. To get to such a level that they can easily identify the difference between truth and falsehood. Because once a person can identify the difference between truth and falsehood, their life is different. Everything becomes clearer. Now I tell you guys a lot, I mention Robert Frein often, and I tell you, I've told you guys many times in the past, about how when we first met, I'd ask him a question, he'd give me a source, he'd give me a page number, and so on. Now most people maybe didn't get the point, or I just simply was, I failed as a speaker and did not elaborate enough. Most people thought, or think, that I was only referring to Torah. When I asked Rabbi Ephraim a question, he would give me an answer only when it was referring to Torah, meaning he had Torah knowledge. So he learned for 20-something years. After you learn for 20-something years any, any, anything, you're going to know something. 
Anyone that learns for 25 years is going to know something about that subject. But that's the mistake. The difference between a secular, a secular person that studies history or science or math or whatever it is that they're studying is that if they study for 25 years worth of science and history and psychology, then that's all they're going to get. They're looking for that type of limited, mundane type of information and at best case scenario, they'll become an expert in the mundane. The best case scenario, they'll be experts in the mundane. But when a person learns Torah and commits two decades of their life to live Torah, to learn Torah, they're not just learning Torah. They're learning emit. Emit means everything. Everything. So the fascinating thing about the conversations that I had with Rabbi Ephraim and still have to this day is that it wasn't Torah questions that I was asking him. I didn't know Torah to ask about Torah. I was asking about the stock market. I was asking about money. I was asking about life. I was asking about everything I knew about and everything I knew some truth about. And he knew about all of it. Yeah, but he never studied stock options. And he never studied uh, hedge funds. And he never studied SEC regulation. And he never studied uh, shorting and longing and, 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 and buying into companies with red flags and selling companies. He didn't, under, he didn't do any of this in his life. For heaven's sake, he was in his 20s. He didn't have time to do any of this stuff. But yet he knew the answers for all of it. He knew all of it. When I said short, he knew what short is. When I said stock market, he knew what stock market was. Everything, everything he knew. That's Talmud Chacham. That's why some successful people that have a little of Chochmah, they always have a tzaddik that they go to. Why? Because they go to the tzaddik not just for, for zgulot, like some of these fools. They just pay somebody off to pretend like everything's going to be okay. I'm talking about people that know something. They have a real Talmud Chacham close to them. Why? Because, you know, at that Talmud Chacham, from the emet of the Torah, has the answers for all of their questions, including the most complicated business legal question you could ever have. How? That's Torah Rabotai. That's the difference. That's the difference. The Gemaraim Masechet Ta'anit says a few things about Talmidei Chachamim, people that learn Torah. It says a young rabbinical student is like a seed beneath the clod, the clod of earth. Once he sprouts, he sprouts. Meaning, just as a seed grows unhindered, once it has broken through the surface, so too a young scholar grows in a stature. Once his name is recognized. The person that commits his life to learning Torah, for Shema, for Hashem, in the beginning, nothing happens, nothing happens, nothing happens, but then eventually he starts growing. Why? Hashem says, you sacrificed your life for 20 years, no one knew who you are. Now it's time. There's one guy, uh, Rabbi Eagle Cohen. In the last year, year and a half, his popularity has exceeded anything anyone could ever imagine. So they asked him, what have you done? I mean, you filled up a TED stadium. Ted had a stadium. He filled it up with people. 
No one has done that since Rabbi Amnon Yitzchak, uh, many years ago. He filled up a stadium, with the exception of Avavadia before he died. No one has been able to do such a thing. Him by himself, he filled up a whole stadium. He fills up, sells out constantly. With the exception of the heretics that could sell out because people want to be heretics, people that teach real Torah, they don't get so many people. You're popular if you get 500 people. We're not talking about, we're talking about thousands. How is that? How? What'd you do? He says, nothing. Hashem decided. He goes, what do you mean Hashem decided? How come He didn't decide for everybody else? He goes, no. I've been doing this for 20 years. For 20 years, my average shiur was three or four people. For 20 years, Hashem Yachem. I don't know if I'm going to survive 20 years with three or four people. For 20 years, He says, my average shiur every day, three or four people. 20 years. After 20 years, Hashem decided, okay, you have sacrificed enough. Now you get the reward. Sells out. He comes here. People never heard him want to go. Siad Bishmaya. That's what this Gemara says. Young student, you're in. You got a few people. You got a few people. You got a few. Are you going to give up? Oh, you'll stay nothing. You keep going. Eventually, I'll let you sprout like a tree. When a young rabbinical student becomes heated, angry, it's the Torah that's causing him to become heated. Why? As I told you guys, I think a few weeks ago, I mentioned this Gemara to you guys. The knowledge of Torah increases his sensitivity. It makes, makes him take things more to heart. It makes the person more fiery. If he's learning real Torah, it makes him more fiery. So in essence, the Gemara is teaching the wives of these young Talmidei Chachamim don't get uh, so upset if your new Baal Tshuva husband gets a little rowdy once in a while. Why? Because he doesn't know how to control this new fire, this new found fire that he has. He doesn't know how to control it yet. Give him, give him more support. Keep him learning. Have more patience with him. And eventually he's going to learn how to, if he has the right teacher and the right learning, eventually he's going to learn how to control this fire he has. If he has no fire, then he's not learning Torah. He's learning something else. Then Ravashi says, Any Torah scholar who's not as hard as an iron, meaning he's not steadfast with, this is emet, he doesn't stand for something. He's not Talmud Chacham. He's not a real true scholar. He's not a true scholar. If you're one of these 50-50 people, no, there's 500 opinions, pick one. You're not Talmud Chacham. You're nothing. You know all of information, but you're nothing. You're nothing. Ravaba and Ravashi also said, you derive this principle from the verse, but we derive it from the following verse also. There's one verse that they derived it from originally. They say it's a different one. Which one? As it is written in Deuteronomy 8.9, a land whose stones are iron. Do not read the word for stones, any time there's certain rules within the Torah, there's certain words that you can change the reading to, to understand the hidden meaning behind it. It says the Torah is actually saying here that the Eretz, the land, is built... Uh, off of uh, the uh, iron. He goes, no, no. It's not built off the iron. The builders are iron. The builders are iron. Meaning, the Tamidei Chachamim are iron. Why? They're going to stand for something. 
So when a person understands what it really truly means to be a Talmit Chacham, immediately his brain tells him, oh, not only do I want to be that, but I have to prepare myself to be that. Why? It's going to require work. It's required to take notes at a lecture. It's required to drive far. It's required to sleep less. It's required less materialism. It's required to force myself to fix my bad nature, my bad character traits. It's going to force myself to reflect constantly. What will I do? What will I do? What will I do every day? What will I do? How will I do this? Why will I do this? Constantly reflect. Constantly reflect. Why? Because if you're not reflecting, you're not doing tshuva. You're not doing tshuva. But that's the goal of Rabbi. Rabbi is over here. You guys are understanding this is what it takes to be a rabbi. This is what it takes to be a tamit chacham. This is what it takes to be a tzaddik. You have to reflect. You have to be a student. But you can't be any other the first three students. That's what this Mishnah is trying to tell you guys. You cannot be the first three students. You cannot be one of these people that just, oh, I'll just come and I'll listen to everything. I'll go to the casino right after the shiur, not during the shiur. You can't be one of those people. You can't live this world and the next world. You cannot do it. Same thing is, you can't be one of these people that lets things in one ear and out the other. Why? You're making a sin. You're wasting the rabbi's time. You're wasting your life. You're wasting your time. You also cannot be one of these evil people that just looks for bad in everything. Or looks to let people stay bad. Everybody's a, a baby that's uh, stolen. Can't be one of those people. Meaning, Abu Karim, we have to get to a point where we understand that it is our commandment. Our commandment from Hashem Barach, no one less. Our commandment to become Chachamim. You have no right to stay a fool. Hashem did not give you a Jewish neshama for you to stay a fool. Rav Wasim and Allah Shalom, and then we'll finish. Rav Wasim and Allah Shalom was a fire. Fire. One of the Gdoleadol at the time of the Holocaust got murdered during the Holocaust by the evil Nazis, despite the fact that he had free and clear multiple opportunities to stay alive. He was actually in America visiting. When the Holocaust broke out, the war broke out, he decided to go back to Germany. They said, yeah, but they're going to kill you over there. He says, all my students are in Germany. I'm not going to leave my students at the time they need me. They're going to kill you. I'll die with my students. I'll die with my students. You think any of these students even dared be the first three times we talked about? So now Rav Wasserman was a Ish Kodesh. Fire came out of him. Fire. Hamash had Kodesh. Before this murder, he was one of the Gdolei Adol, and at one time, was, at, was uh, looking to raise some money. It was a very, very poor situation for his yeshiva. He was looking to raise money. He asked somebody in America that he uh, contacted, a rabbi in America. 
if he can help him, join forces with him. He said, of course, anything you need. He came and they also joined with another one and trying to raise money. The Gdola Dor, imagine, the biggest, Moshe Rabbein who's coming, can you guys give some money for my yeshiva? Who wouldn't give their house to Moshe Rabbeinu? Someone who didn't know who Moshe Rabbeinu was. Who wouldn't give money to Rav Wasserman? Someone who didn't know what Rav Wasserman or didn't know what Torah was. So the two people told him, listen, for the Rav, there's an easy solution. There's one particular guy that lives in the Bronx. His name is, I believe, Philip Goldman. His real name, his Jewish name, is Pinchas. But Pinchas became Philip. Why? Pinchas used to be a Talmud Yeshiva in Rav Wasserman's class. They grew up together. But after he left Yeshiva, he also left the Torah, went into the business world. Satan gave him a ton of money. And he made it huge in the textile business, clothing. Became a huge manufacturer in jackets and all types of sweaters and so on and so forth. He says, Kfodarav, you're connected to him somewhat. If you go to him, he's a multimillionaire. If he gives you 1%, 1% of what he makes a month, Yeshiva doesn't need any more money. 1%, forget, 1% of 1%. He has so much money. So, oh, okay, so let's go. What's the problem? He goes, no, no, you have to go by yourself. Why? He doesn't give and he's a kofel. Not only he doesn't give, he's a kofel. Hates it. Hates Torah. Hates mixed, hates it. So we already, we live here. So for us to get even more embarrassed from locals, it's all right, it's too much. You, you don't live here. So at least if he embarrasses you, at least if he embarrasses you, you're going back home to Lita. Go back to Europe over there. It's, uh, you don't have to worry about it. Embarrassment, embarrassment stays here. Okay. No problem for Yeshiva, for Tamideh Chamim, to save my students, no problem. He was willing to sacrifice his life for his students. You think he's not going to sacrifice his honor? And we saw he was willing to sacrifice his life for his students because he actually did it. A lot of people say it, but they don't do it. He did it. Anyway, he said, okay, give me his phone number. He gives a phone number. He calls his office. Hi, I'm looking for Philip. Oh, sorry, sir. Uh, he's busy. Philip is a very busy guy. He's busy. Oh, okay. No problem. I'll call back. He didn't tell him, ah, this is Rav Wasserman, Elchanan Wasserman, the Gdullah Do, biggest rabbi in the world. No, no. He didn't say that. No. Oh, that's it. Two days later, he calls again. I'll have uh, Philip. No. He's busy. He's busy. He's busy. Third time he calls, Philip himself answers. Asiat Bishmai would have it. Hashem would have it. Philip answers the phone. He says, Elchanan? You're calling me? What are you doing in America? Because I came to visit you. Come, please, come. Come, please. He's saying, Dola don't came to my house. He's coming, please, come. He's all. He comes to his office, big. He had a big, fancy, schmancy office in Manhattan. He comes to his office, and uh, Philip shows him his stuff. I had a client one time that also had in the clothing business, this guy Glenn. Glenn, very successful at a successful company, Jewish guy. I went to, he, one of the favorite things that he had was to show his factory to people. He still has it today. He shows his, shows his stuff. 
this is this station over here. This is this station. We do because somebody's successful. They like to show you stuff. Clients. Anytime I would visit clients wherever they were, it doesn't matter if Michigan or New York or California, wherever it was, I always like to show you stuff, and it's very fascinating to me. I like to see that type of stuff. At least I used to. Anyway, so Philip wanted to show Rav Wasserman how successful he is. Look what I made of myself. This section, hundred million dollars. This section, hundred fifty million. This section, it's only thirty-two million. This section, this section is here. All the sections he has of this building, that building, this building, that building. And you, El Khanan, what have you done? After he shows him his glory, no, and you, Al Khanan, what have you done? He says, well, me, you know, I studied over here, and then I studied in this Rebbe, in this Rebbe. Eventually, I went to study under the Chafetz Chaim. Became one of the Chafetz Chaim students. And then after that, I opened my uh, yeshiva. And then on uh, my yeshiva, I have such and such students. And he sees that on the face of Philip, slash Pinchas, he starts seeing that Pinchas is starting to hate himself. Why? Because Pinchas sees that his world is this, but he has no Torah. He used to be in the same class as him. There's no Torah. So Pinchas says, okay, so, okay. so uh, why'd you come? Why'd you come to America? So I came to see you. You came to see me. Why? Why did you come to see me? Oh, no, no, no reason. Stop. No reason. No, no reason. No, no, no. I understand. Okay, no. But why did you come to me? Tell me, tell me. It's okay. It's okay, tell me. No, no reason. I just want to see you. I haven't seen you in a long time. I feel I thought about you. I came to see you. No, Kvadarav, tell me. Why did you come? No, tell me, tell me. No, there's no way. You came all the way from Lita over here just to see me. Okay, no. I'll tell you the truth. My jacket, my jacket, one of the buttons on my jacket... It's coming off a little bit. It's coming off a little bit. And if someone sees the, 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 the button fall, it's like Chilul Hashem. So I, someone told me, you are in a button business. You're in a clothing business. So I thought maybe, I mean, you, I heard you're successful. So maybe you can give one of your employees, maybe you can help me out, give me one of your employees to fix my button. Philip? Looks at Rav Wasserman. Says, what? The button? Yeah, 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 the button. Yeah, look, the button. It's, it's falling off. The button over here is falling off. You came all the way from Lita for the, for, for the button? He goes, yeah. He goes, you think I'm a fool? He goes, no, I'm a fool. What, the button? Look, the button is falling. What? The button is falling. It's Chilul Hashem. You know, you have somebody? Can you help me, please? Can you do me a favor? Help me with the button? He doesn't know what to do with himself. He goes, yeah, he tells one of his employees, no, come, fix his button. Do, do, do. Two seconds later, he fixes the button. He goes, okay, fine, the button. But they meant, why'd you come here? He goes, that's it. Baruch Hashem, thank you very much. That's it? That's it. You don't want anything? No, no, I just want you to fix the button. Thank you very much. Sheikha. Chazaku Baruch. Philip can't deal with it. He keeps pacing back and forth. For the love, you have to tell me. That's the reason why I came. I have to go now. He lets him go. He goes outside. Philip screams from the window. Kvodarav, okay, you're outside, but are you going to tell me or what? He goes, tell you what? 
Why'd you come? You know, you're outside. I got it already. Why'd you come? He goes, I came for the button. Why it's so hard to understand? I came for the button. Philip cannot sleep at night. The night comes, Philip cannot sleep. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. He cannot sleep. He hasn't left the office. He is going back and forth asking himself, why did Rav Elchanan Wasserman alava shalom, the biggest rabbi in the world, come all the way from the end of the world to hear for me? Why? He can't sleep. He calls, he finds out where he is, he gets him on the phone at 2 o'clock in the morning. He's Kvodarav, please tell me, I can't sleep, I can't stop thinking about it. Please tell me why you came. He goes, I only came for the button. He goes, you have to come to my office, please. He goes, okay, listen, you're my old friend, I'll come to you right now. He comes to him, by the time he arrives to him, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. 3 o'clock in the morning. Dola Dora arrives at his factory in Manhattan, and he tells him, hey, yes, why did you come for the Rav? He goes, I came for the button. That's it, what's so hard to understand? I came for a button. Mamash, Ruch HaKodesh, Ruch HaKodesh, you have to have, Mamash, steal. To stay with the story. And then you understand why in a second. The guy is saying, listen, I don't give. I don't pay. I don't give the yeshivot. I don't give anything. But I'm willing to give anything you want. I'll be very generous with you. Just tell me that's the reason you came. I'm willing to break my own bad midah of being stingy, being cheap, hating everything. I'm willing to give you a bunch of money. But tell me that's the reason they make you came. Because I didn't come for your money. I came for you to fix my button. He goes, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. That's what you're going to stay with? He goes, that's the reason I came. And now I have to go. He leaves the office again. The guy can't take it. He screams again. He's outside with him. He goes, Kvod you have to tell me, please. He's like, Mama's breaking down. Please tell me, why did you come? There's no way. I'm not a fool. I'm not an idiot. I know you for many years. You're a smart guy. You went two weeks on a boat. Two weeks on a boat. Two weeks on a boat, you came all the way from where you were. To the United States. To the Bronx. To Manhattan. All the way to me. For me to fix the button? He says, oh, it bothers you that I traveled two weeks? Just to fix a button? What about your neshama that traveled from Olam HaEmet in Shamaim? That just to travel from Olam HaEmet to go from one chapter to the other is 500 light years. And to go from one rakia to the other is another 500 light years. And to go from the other one is a thousand light years. And to go all the way to the Kiseh Kavod is all of the light years. Another 3,500 light years. You came from where Hashem Barach was, the Kisea Kabot, all the way over here. For what? Where did you come here? To make a button. Because that's what you do. So I came to help you make a button. The guy starts hysterical crying. He says, I never realized this. How much a, f- a fool... My neshama was given to me by Hashemit Barach, came from Olam Ha'emet, traveled thousands of light years to come to this world 
and all I do and all I am worth is to fix a button. From that moment on, Rav Wasserman's yeshiva never had money problems. And that person did tshuva. Why? Because he realized that without living Torah Emet, you, my friend, are a button. Just a button. This Rabotai Karim is a story that the walls, if they haven't done tshuva yet, they would do it. Because it takes everything we've learned over the last several years and summarizes it into a simple, extraordinary day in the life of one of the Gdoleado. How a person can live the emet all the way to the end. Once he saw his old ex-friend that his whole life is this, he no longer wanted the money. Yes, I came two weeks to get money, but not from you. Why? I feel bad for you. I feel bad for you. You're not worth a button. Maybe you could fix one. I don't want your money. And that's why Rabotai, the real tzaddikim, they don't accept money from just simply everybody. And that's why Rabotai, not everybody could donate for real mitzvot, for real Torah, for real kiruv. Not everyone has the merit. Not everyone has the merit. Many people donate to the Red Cross, to the church, to the family zoo, to save the dolphin, for all types of uh, rescue plans of, uh, of maybe rescuing a horse in the middle of Tennessee that's limping, but to save Jewish neshamot, not many people donate. Why? Because they have the merit of a button. They may have the bank account of Rockefeller, but the merits of the button. We have to look in the mirror every day and ask ourselves, am I more than a button? If I'm donating for, for nonsense, if the only donation that I'm doing is for sandwiches and Hanukkah parties, then I'm a button. I have a problem. I have to do tshuva. I have to read this Mishnah over and over and over again until the tshuva. Why? Because I haven't succeeded in becoming the best Talmud. What's the best Talmud? He's the one that's able to look at everything, take out the falsehood, and only stay with the Emet. Bezat Hashem, this will help us, help us get to the emet, get to the emet. And just like Hashem Barach in this week's parashat chukat, turned the poison, the poison of the snake, the poison of the snake, bit all of the people that complained for no reason. The people that didn't do tshuva, they complained. Hashem turned those, that snake, that poison, into poison that killed them. But then Hashem turned it again into a, that snake, anyone that looked at the copper snake, Hashem healed him. Hashem showed you he could use the poison to cure you. He could use the poison to kill you. In 1970s and all the way until 1974, Hashem showed it again. What? Scientists, scientists, not sure if they're Jews or not, took that very same poison of the snake and used it to cure. To cure what? To cure diabetes, high blood pressure, and right now there's even research being done to cure cancer. From what? from the poison of the 3,000 different types of snakes in the world. Because you don't learn. What can I tell you? I learned it, you learned. 
You learn it, you have. Yeah, you want proof? Yeah, give you proof. Here's an article. Yeah, you have an article over here. FDA, F- FDA, 1981 approved it. FDA approved it. It is the most important cure that we've had in the last four generations, in the last four decades. Because high blood pressure, Rabotai, is almost in every single household. What's the cure? Snake. Snake venom. Snake venom. Just like the Torah says, the Torah is either Sam Chaim or Sam Mavit. Either the potion of life or the potion of death. Hashem shows us the very same Torah can save your life. The very same Torah can kill you. Same poison can save you. Same poison can kill you. Why? Hashem is telling you, I decide. Don't be afraid of Gogu Magog. Be afraid of a misbehaved child because you didn't give him good chinuch. Don't be afraid of the Arabs. Be afraid of me sending the Arabs. Don't be afraid of the world around you. Be afraid of me. Why? Once you're afraid of me, then you do tshuva. Be'ezat Hashem, this helps us do tshuva. Decipher the lies from the truth. Decipher the truth from the lies. And Be'ezat Hashem, live our lives until Mashiach Tzidkenu saves all of us. Be'ezat Hashem, very, very soon, when all of Am Yisrael does tshuva. Amen ve'amen.